This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 57, about Daredevil, season 2, episode 4, Penny and Dime. Welcome back, Defenders, to episode 57 of our podcast, Defenders TV Podcast, about Daredevil, season 2, episode 4, Penny and Dime. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And I'm Chris, back from San Francisco. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you. And we also have a virtual host this week, uh, not content to having us host the podcast while he's away. John has recorded a little welcome, and uh, he will let you know where he is. I am the third and final host, John, and I'm coming remotely from Belgrade in Serbia, where I recorded my five quick thoughts about this episode of Daredevil Season 2, Episode 4, Penny and Dime, and also whether I defended or not this episode of Daredevil. So yes, John has recorded part of his podcast for us uh, from his hotel room in Serbia, where he is with uh, with work. Uh, thanks very much for that, John. Uh, this is going to be an interesting editing uh, session for me. I'll be honest. Uh, John has given us his top five. He will be. Uh, we will be dropping that in at the end of the episode uh, after myself and Chris have discussed our top five. But we haven't heard them yet, which is quite <laughs> fun. It's going to be interesting. It'll be like insert John here. You've read my notes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how I'm doing it. Um, John has also recorded a bit of feedback as well, uh, which I'll also drop in at the end of the episode. But um, we won't be able to, unfortunately, discuss what he said. Uh, but hopefully uh, they're really enjoyable points that he's provided. Oh, my God. If you guys could see Derek's skeptical look right now, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> they're always enjoyable points. Yeah, but no, we can we can comment again next week in the next episode. Exactly. Exactly. So welcome back, Chris. It's been a while since you've been on my podcast. It is. Unfortunately, I've been uh, traveling with my day job and uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, the the uh, the activity of what John has been doing, which is really showing me up. You know, when I'm in a foreign country, apparently I can't record. But when he's in a foreign country, he definitely can. Uh, so n- n- the next trip I'm on now, I'm not going to let it stop me. <laughs> well, we did get you in for episode one. We did get your feedback in. Yes. The end no, of no, that was one, good. So. Uh, uh, so thanks very much for recording that for us. We couldn't have gone by the first episode of the new Daredevil season without having your thoughts, at least on the first episode. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what have you been up to? You've been watching uh, the first three episodes of Daredevil, obviously. Um, yes. What have your thoughts been so far? Because I'm usually the negative Nelly. Um, <laughs> the first three episodes, it, it kind of felt for me, okay, it was... Treading, it sounds like treading water is probably a bad analogy, but it was Daredevil season one. It was great and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I, it hadn't at that point, between episodes one and three, hadn't raised the bar to make me go, Oh my God, like this is, this is the, this is Daredevil 2.0. Right. Like it was, um, it, it hadn't kind of gone anything over the previous year. Now, I stand corrected as of this moment because <laughs> episode four completely represents one of the best 59 minutes or 49 minutes. I can't remember the running time. Yeah. Um, of, Long, longest episode so far. So yeah, about 59 yeah. minutes, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the best 59 minutes of the series and personally ranks in one of the best stories, the one of the best well written, directed, Cinematography, cinematography, uh, stunt, uh, stunt. What would it be? 
No, I was going to say choreography. Yeah, stunt choreography or stunt, yeah. yeah. No, stunt choreography in the cinematic universe. Now, we've still got to see uh, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. We've still got to see the Defenders matchup. We've still got to see um, Civil War. Mm-hmm. But as of right now, going against Asian Shield and all the previous films, this for me was one of it. it it's up there in the top three. Is as a it's engrossing, it's emotional, it's violent, it's thought provoking, it's just mwah. I was like, yeah, you guys can hear me now. I'm just like fingers to the lips, like I'm an old Frenchman. Mwah, mwah, mwah. We may um, have to start video podcasting soon. I, I think so because I, I, I look like a uh, right now. I have my hood up. I look like a Jedi, and I'm doing French. Uh, over-the-top French actions. Um, so this would be an interesting video. Absolutely. Uh, but before we get into episode four, what did you think? So the big the big moment, I suppose, for us when we were watching the episodes uh, was at the end of episode three, where we had the uh, this two or three-minute fight sequence going down the stairs from uh, from the fourth or fifth floor all the way down the stairs to uh, to a basement uh, basement floor fight. What did you th- how did you think that compared to the season two corridor scene, the, the big fight scene they all talk about? I love, so I loved that scene. As soon as it started and the camera panned and it didn't cut, I was like, oh, so this is going to be this episode, this series hallway. Because it was just, it was an, it was an extended hallway. Now, I loved it. It mm-hmm. was good. Uh, it was beautifully kind of pow for pow, kabam for kabam type of action. It was like everything thud you could hear through the, the, the surround sound. Just, it didn't, I was expecting a bit more, something else to bring it up to the next level. Uh, now, we may get that in the following episode. Okay. I don't know, because we only got one hallway scene. So maybe this season they'll give us two hallway scenes type thing. But I still know, it was still great. And I don't know whether that was Charlie Cox doing it. If it was, I'm now hugely impressed. Because <laughs> some of that was, some of that, like the choreography and the the... Um, the, the actual fight scenes in the, the first three episodes have been, have been really, really good. Like Daredevil, it's, it's as I imagined in my head how Daredevil would fight. And yeah. you see in the comics with the kind of side, uh, I was going to say uh, spinning cartwheels, but it's kind of the bicycle kicks. Yes. Where he lands back on his feet. He kicks someone in like, and then flips. Yeah. Like that's how I was meant because he has this unique, amazing control over his all his senses and his equilibrium. And I will definitely say, just to answer your question, I will definitely say those scenes are not Charlie Cox. Okay, (laughs) he does not do backflips. Amazing. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that that's the wonderful Chris Brewster uh, who has been Charlie's uh, double for all of Daredevil season one and for season two uh, he does say that that uh, Charlie Cox does as much of the fights as he can but Chris is better trained at the end of the day he's been he's been working as a stunt actor for years in fact I think we mentioned it in the first season uh, he stunt he did the stunt double work for Captain America as well for um, the Winter Soldier that wonderful scene in the uh in the lift. Do you remember that oh, most yes. amazing scene? One of the yes. wonderful fight scenes. So he's been pretty much every Marvel character that you could think of that, that does a good fight sequence. That's pretty much Chris Brewster does that. Philip Silvera does all the, the, the choreography, but they do say that Charlie's heavily involved in, in how the scenes work out. Uh, we talked about it already on, on our episode three podcast. So don't go, don't want to go back into the fight sequence, but there is one shot in that fight sequence, which to me stood out. So much bigger than the hallway scene in last, in last season, um, which was where, uh, 
Daredevil throws the chain around a guy's neck at two floors above. Oh, okay, pulls, yes, pulls him actually, down off yeah. the stairs. That yeah. that looks like backbreaking. Uh, a backbreaking act that looks like that stunt guy will never work again. <laughs> and the, the, actually, speaking of, just at the the towards the very end of that, where he's just fighting more with the chain, mm-hmm. and he whips it almost like a full on, like a full on whip, like something you'd see out of Indiana Jones. Yeah, he whips it around the guy and then whips it off. I was like, okay, that yeah, okay, it's okay. I'm revising my <laughs> as I re as I re walk through it in my head and going. Okay, yeah, no, no, this was, this was better. So listeners, this is why we are Defenders TV podcast. I defend it and see if Chris will take up the, uh, the same argument as I <laughs> <laughs> But okay, overall, the first three episodes didn't do anything too ostentatious. That kind of made me go, <gasps> like, like, wow. whole kind of like, bless my pearls, kind of like Southern Dame type kind of be like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> episode four changed that. Episode four, taking in combination of one to four, then yes, this is Daredevil 2.0. Right. And it certainly is. We do have a, a big change for Daredevil in this episode. Uh, I think that's a great way to segue into our episode. Uh, before we do, listeners, if this is your first time joining us, uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by going to defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes. If you're an Apple user, subscribe to us on there. Leave us a review. There have been a f- uh, one or two coming in since we started the podcast, but I know we're recording a lot of these very close together. So uh, just make sure you get your review in. It'll allow other people to find us. Uh, one big piece of news this week is that we have actually broken the top 100 TV and film podcasts in the U.S. Uh, this week with our, our reviews of Daredevil. So I want to say a huge thank you to all of the listeners. Um, we won't stay there for very long. That's only for a day, uh, but I'm delighted to see it. It's a great little stat that we uh, we I, I keep an eye on and I, I love seeing it. So thank you so much to our listeners and thanks so much to uh, to you guys for uh, for paying attention and for uh, for downloading us through iTunes. And more for thank you for listening to our rambles. Well, there you like, go. Our rambles do ramble sometimes and oh my God, you come on the journey with us. Thank you. <laughs> yes, delighted you've been here. Uh, if you are not an Apple user, uh, you can download the podcast through any podcast catcher just by searching Defenders TV Podcast. The ones we generally use are things like Podcast Addict, Beyond Pod, and also on Stitcher. Uh, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you can still do that even if you don't download the podcast. Just download iTunes and, and write up your review on your computer. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, if you want to send us in any feedback about the episodes, you can send feedback to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or come and join our group over on Facebook. You can find that at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. You got all that? Think we're ready to crack into the episode, Chris? I think so. Cool. So, Daredevil, Season 2, Episode 4, Penny and Dime, was written by John C. Kelly, who's written episodes of The Blacklist and House, uh, and some episodes of NCIS. Uh, It was directed by British director Peter Hoare, uh, who directed episodes right back to Grange Hill in 2005, uh, into Da Vinci's Demons, and one cool one for me, he directed the uh, Doctor Who episode, A Good Man Goes to War, a very cool episode with uh, with the 11th Doctor, uh, and Rory and Amy, and learning who, uh, who Amy Pond is, and who River Song is, but spoilers, I will leave it there. So... Synopsis for this episode. This is going to be unique, people. You see John does this. Are you ready? Derek, over to you. In the aftermath of the Irish massacre, the gang members have a wake for the fallen comrades when former mobster Finn arrives to break the ice. Despite the murder of his son, Finn only has one thing on his mind, recovering the $1.2 million Frank Castle handily stole from the group. 
On the other side of Hell's Kitchen, Foggy, Matt and Karen mourn the loss of their client Grotto with some inspirational words from Father Lantham. Karen believes the only way to clear her guilt is to locate and help the Punisher. That leads her down a precarious route filled with mysterious black suits. As Finn captures and tortures Frank Castle to retrieve his money, Daredevil tracks down the vigilante and helps him in his escape from the Irish gang. Injured in the battle, Frank believes he is finished and shares the reasons for his murderous rampage with the red-suited defender. One batch, two batch, penny and dime, they must pay for their crime. There you go. That's my first synopsis, I think, since uh, we kicked off the Defenders TV podcast. I'm very proud. You haven't lost a beat. (laughs) Yeah, John will be back next week with the synopsis for the next podcast, I promise. So, Chris, overall, you clearly loved episode four, as I believe I did. And uh, I believe John is also on a similar side. Uh, The way we cover our podcasts, if you're a first time listener... We do get new new listeners each episode, which is great. Uh, the way we cover our podcast is we watch the episode as many times as we want to, choose our top five points, each of us talk through those top five points and maybe some notes. And hopefully by doing that, we'll cover all of the episode and then we decide whether we defend it. Uh, after we do that, we then are allowed to go and watch the next episode. So we haven't seen ahead on any of our episodes of Daredevil, just so you know that. And it kills us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chris. As a reward, and since it's your first time back, do you want to give us your first point about Daredevil Season 2, Episode 4? Yes, I will. Um, I'm going to take a very obvious point uh, on this one, and I think all of our listeners will agree once they've watched the episode and are listening in. John Bernthal was incredible in this episode. Absolutely. His long speech at the end in the cemetery with Matt um, while he was waiting to get picked up by the cops, it ruined me for other TV shows. Uh-huh. It was gut-wrenching and beautiful, like, literally, same time. Um, I, I kept staring at his face as, like, the, the prosthetics of this, where he was so... His lips were puffing up. I don't mm-hmm. know if anyone noticed that. His lips were actually puffing up as they spoke, as they were swelling. You could see... I don't know how they did it, but it was just amazing. And God, I hope that uh, John that would come into some of the new award seasons... Um, that John comes up for something for this best supporting actor or something. I know Daredevil is now kind of more easily recognized as a superhero show. Mm. Um, I still think it, this, this was probably one of the best soliloquies, if you could call it that, because it was to someone, mm-hmm. maybe a monologue, um, of just, it was heart wrenching as he told the story around Penny and Dime, and I, I choked up. I'm not gonna lie. I did a Kevin Smith on this. I I was nearly Kevin Smith at the Flash. I was nearly like blubbering. This is so beautiful. <laughs> I, uh, I wish I had a child who could go to war and then come back from war to see the child. <laughs> Punisher has never been a fully rounded character in the in the comic books. Okay, he was. Um, he, he's Frank Castle, war veteran, depending on what comics you read, depending which war he was a veteran in. Mm-hmm. His family's killed by the mob, and he goes on vengeance. He's a vigilante whose his, his style of justice is death. Not that there's no, no huge depth to the character. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I've, I've only, I, I, I know him through his crossovers with Daredevil and Spidey and like uh, some of that. I don't, I've never fully read all of the Warzone. I believe I read some of around the times of the, of the Avengers Civil War and post Civil War. I read some of his stuff then. Yeah. Um, yeah. that which, which was really good, but again, didn't 
drive huge amounts of kind of you you don't feel a huge amount of empathy for this guy okay just this one scene did more for me than probably 50 issues of a comic book could in what was space of about 10 minutes 15 minutes 12 minutes yeah. uh, about like, 10 minutes yeah yeah it just it, it literally takes you on this raw and i feel like i feel like i'm trying to do an english essay in school it takes <laughs> you on a ride takes you on a journey because uh, it tells you the story it tells you but not from a point where my family was killed and I swore vengeance, it was mm-hmm. like, this is why I do it. This is like my little one, my like John humanizes his character in such a way. This could be your next door neighbor who, if any of you live next door to a war vet, like this guy has seen horrors and he never heard him. And then he has a child and you see a lot on, on social media of the, the, the dogs and the children who see their fathers come home from war or mm-hmm. from serving in active military service. They, they're always great tearjerkers, but they're very much clickbait. It's just like, oh, that's cute. But I love that he references that, doesn't he? In the, in the actual yeah. discussion, he says that the teacher is trying to video it and put it up on YouTube or something. Yeah. Uh, yet she's breaking down in tears so much that there's no way this thing could be recorded as a video, you know? Um, brilliant scene. Absolutely amazing scene. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I would recommend, Chris, uh, I know you haven't read many, um, many Punisher graphic novels. I would highly recommend checking out the Max series. Uh, for the Punisher, some of Garth Ennis' stuff and some of the stuff that's been in the Max series. Um, he is humanized a lot more. Uh, what I particularly love about this scene, and it is one of my points as well, what I particularly love about this scene is that it's all told through by with Frank's voice there's no there's no flashbacks to it happening which is such an easy thing for a director to fall back on to actually you know when it's one of the kind of things you're told as a director when you're making films when you're making tv shows it's show don't tell the audience want to see what's happening but if you have an actor as good as John Bernthal telling the story of why uh, he's doing this and what what everything meant to him and why he's driven so much more than some other people may be Use it, use that character and use him to tell this story. There's some heartbreaking lines in here uh, where he's saying that he's holding his child. She ran straight over to him. He's holding his child in his arms. He's crying so much that he can't stand, yet she's not crying at all. She's the one holding him up. She's the strong one. Uh, beautiful, beautiful moments. And then, you know, to be a father, to be to be asked to read a bedtime story for your child, the simplest thing you could ever do. And to, for the last thing you ever say to your child to be, I'll read it to you tomorrow, not tonight. It is heartbreaking, and it is a fantastically delivered scene. Really, really good. Yeah, no, and I, I, I honestly, and I, I mean this with the kind of hand on heart. I honestly believe this is potentially his re- one of his actual greatest uh, roles. Because mm-hmm. okay, well, he he's done some voiceover in games. He's done. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to, in my head, run through his. So, Walking Dead, obviously. Of course. Um, like, he was good in Walking Dead. I'm not saying he wasn't. Like, he was good. I um, loved him in Walking Dead. Absolutely, yeah. And then Pacific, and then he was in Numbers, and, I, like, like there was, but for me, there was not, there hasn't been one standout. St- he, he, for me, he's always been a kind of, I know who he is. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've known it because he's a bit, probably because of Walking Dead. And then, like, he shows up in kind of some of the other, some of my usual kind of, like, nighttime watching, such as, like, I think it was in How I Met Your Mother and so forth. Right, okay. For me, that is kind of, he's been that kind of actor who comes in, and I know his face, and I'm like, oh, okay, if he's in a, if he's in, like, House or something like that, you like, or a, a, a crime, if it was something like Castle, 
you'd know like, oh, you're the killer. You're a famous guy. You're going to be the end up being the killer. <laughs> like you can always like, it's that, that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, this just showed his breath as an actor. Like he, that one line you said there where he was talking about the daughter holding him up. Mm-hmm. That was like, I, I, I can honestly think that people who served in the military probably did full on cry during watching this scene. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I did too. Even though I've never started the military, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely had to uh, had to rewind that once or twice to see what was going on since I couldn't see it the first time. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's been he's been in quite a few things this year actually. A couple, a couple of quite big films. Um, he was in the Wolf of Wall Street, um, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he was in the Wolf of, Wolf of Wall Street with uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio. He's been in quite a few films, but. Probably the big benefit of doing something like Netflix is you get the budget of a film and you also get 13 episodes to spread out, uh, your scenes. You know, myself and John talked about episode three having a real kind of uh, stage play feeling to it when it's just Daredevil and Punisher on the roof talking to each other, um, and kind of working out, uh, what they feel about each other, I suppose. Um, and that, you know, a lot of the delivery from John Bernthal in that was fantastic. And, and again, no need to say it, but Charlie Cox was great in those scenes as well. But this monologue, as you say, with, um, with John Bernthal explaining, I suppose feeling that that's the, that's it. And I do wonder, it does, I do have that question because we're four episodes in and I haven't seen any further. I do wonder, are we going to see Frank Castle back? I know promotional material has him and Electra and Daredevil together. Um, but is that just promotional ter- material made for the se- series? Is this Frank Castle is now arrested and he's in prison. And now we're moving on to the next phase, which is Electra. Uh, or does he come back towards the end of the series to team up with them? I'll be interested to see that. Uh, I don't want him to be gone. I really do want to see the character back again, but he looks pretty broken up at the end of this episode. I, I agree that, that that's a, a query I have hanging very much over my head at the end of this episode. It's like, you're right, the promotion, it, this is something Netflix would do. Mm-hmm. It's like making you go, this is the main character, the main evil, the main baddie, and then go, nope, haha, it's not really. I can, th- I can think of at least, uh, House of Cards is a great example where they did a lot of promotion for at least one character in season two who didn't make it very long in the series uh, was featured in almost all of their promotional material so um yeah uh, that's definitely a netflix thing to do yeah again around daredevil didn't they kind of season one did have a three arc stru- three act structure mm-hmm. so kind of and i see this potentially having the three act structure as well where you have the first act punisher first four episodes uh the next four will be um, very much electro focused, and then Marvel team ups at the end. Right, the right. last four kind of, and then the fo- the final thirteenth, um, kind of tying it all together. Right, I can see that happening. Mm-hmm. I I think no, I say I can see that happening. I think I want, I more want that to happen. Like it's kind of like I want to see him again. I don't want his run to be finished. Mm-hmm. Yep, no, I totally, totally agree with you. Uh, definitely really, really, really good character. Uh, it does seem very sealed off at the end of this episode. There is that moment when they're all kind of hanging out in the bar. And, and we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, later on <laughs> uh, in our points. But uh, that moment when they're all hanging out in the bar and that kind of it goes into the end with Electra. Uh, and that is it really is closing off the first four episodes as being an arc of the Punisher and of Frank Castle. So hopefully we see him back and now we know who he is. So, uh, yeah. so looking forward, <laughs> looking forward to seeing it. Uh, he oh, has been fantastic though. Before we go on to our next point, cause I do actually want to ask you about your next point. Mm-hmm. As the camera pans up to look at Daredevil, 
standing on the arch. Did you get a, a vibe of Dark Knighty kind of Batman, kind of Chris Nolan slash a lot of those uh, Daredevil kind of, I think it would be kind of Kevin Smith when Kevin Smith was doing a few of the writing where Daredevil's kind of like arched and kind of holding on to the cross. Yeah. It, just, it was just, that was the, so for me, that was like, this would be your comic book cover. Certainly. This, in that one shot, I was like, oh yeah, I could see that so easily. Certainly, yeah. There, there's definitely some uh, some great cues taken from comic book covers of the past and Daredevil Daredevil comic book covers in the past, definitely. So, Derek, what would be your first point? Since I saw you probably were your first point. <laughs> well, it was a pretty big point of the episode. Um, my first point is in relation to other actors that I've seen everywhere and love seeing in other shows. Uh, one of uh, one of the one of my favorite bit part actors, I suppose you'd call him, uh, Tony Curran, uh, playing Finn. The Irish guy uh, in this in this episode. <laughs> if you listeners didn't actually kind of gather from the the grin that that came through Derek's voice, Irish was in quotation marks. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with his accent. It's a very good accent. It's an Northern Irish it, accent. It, it's, it's one of the accent. it's one of the better Irish accents I've heard on TV. Absolutely. I'm going to say that. Absolutely, he's believable as an Irishman. Um, but yeah, he plays the uh, he plays the new evil big bad for this episode, Finn. Um, he's been seen before as Vincent Van Gogh in uh, in Doctor Who. Uh, he's also been in three, yes, three Marvel films in the past. Uh, he's been in Thor: The Dark World. He's been in X Men: First Class and in Blade Two. So uh, quite a big old range of uh, of Marvel movies. Uh, you'll def you definitely recognize him if you've uh, if you've seen him in something before. And um, I loved this part. I loved Finn coming in. I loved his uh, his reaction with the other Irish. The fact that he effectively takes over an entire gang by killing their boss with an ice pick is <laughs> phenomenal. What a what a great way no. to open up um, a character. Completely agree. Uh, aside from the accents, which I I I think it was just more the the, the overarching Irish portrayal. It's one of the better. I will give you that. It's still better than Brad Pitt and Snatch. Um, oh, Brad Pitt and Snatch is amazing. It's still not like, it's amazing because it's just so weird. You're like, all right, yeah, that could, yeah, it's a drunken Irish man, a drunken Irish traveler. If you want to go like a gypsy. Yeah, okay. Cause they sound like everything else. But Brad Pitt and Devil's Own is awful. Okay, that one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Listeners, please come back to us with feedback in terms of what are your top five worst Irish accents because there's a lot of them but we have to think about it mm-hmm. there's definitely a Jared Butler uh, in P.S. I Love You there's yes. a Sean Connery which I can't remember the name of the film but yeah there's quite a few quite well a few. no hold on that was Sean Connery in using a Scottish accent doing an Irish accent which basically sounded like a Scottish accent pretty much <laughs> <laughs> uh, but listen just come back to us with your, your feedback because I really we can do we can do that as feedback we'll rank ours and you can rank yours and we'll put them all together uh-huh, absolutely uh, but yeah but the br- brutality of Finn in this episode is really something that that I thought was fantastic and really well portrayed by Tony Curran really well cast uh, in this role I 100% believed he was going to torture Frank until his death and then torture Max or as we've named him, uh, or his little dog, um, totally believed he was he was going to go that dark. Uh, the fact that he he ha- his son has been killed at the hand of Frank, and he still just wants the money that Frank stole. Um, it's played so well, and you can it's totally believable. He's an evil, evil crime boss, uh, and really well played. So my point is really big props to Tony Curran. Hopefully, we see you in uh, other things soon because you're not going to be back in Daredevil. 
<laughs> well, 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 potentially. Maybe. You never say no in a comic book film, I True. suppose. Well, the character he plays is in the comic books and is a disfigured character in the comic books in that he's missing half his face. Well, there you go. So I very much see him coming back kind of very heavy prosthetics, half his, maybe half his face gone. Uh He's still alive and he was sewn back together by the Irish mobs and just kind of, he is now the, yeah, he's just crazy fame kind of thing. But he Uh is in the comic books with just half his face missing. So I'm like, oh, it makes sense. Very interesting. Yeah, that's a good one for you. But I agree. He was a fantastic character. Um, you, he, you really did get that sense of, the, the, the sense of psych, psycho, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I said sense there a lot. <laughs> In that, you, you, you're right. We didn't know what he was going to do next. You didn't know. I did feel for Max. You, Cause I thought he was going to do it. And I was like, in my head while I was watching, it was like, the animal, animal cruelty, Guys, for who look after films, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there'll be outrage with PETA and all of it if the dog dies. I'd <laughs> certainly. And I was like, I haven't heard anything, so I think we're okay. But I was like, going, maybe no, maybe like going, maybe it just hasn't hit my radar. I was really <laughs> afraid. I was like, going, this all ran through my head in the space of like ten minutes. I was like, I completely agree with you. Fantastic portrayal. Um. I'm hoping we see more of him in the incarnate comic book incarnation. So, because that would be brilliant to see him kind of his. Do you remember Darkman with his face, the old comic book character? Absolutely. And he had his face wrapped in kind of bandages. Liam Neeson. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, God, I forgot that actually. Probably best. Yeah, unfortunately. It's still, it was one of our first comic book adaptation films. Come mm-hmm. on, it's like Spawn. In 1996. Yeah. It's a terrible film, but you're uh-huh. like, it was good for what it was at the time. Um, <laughs> but no, I was, sorry, back to my train of thought. In that he, I really would love to see him kind of come back in maybe one later episode. Like again, we'll talk maybe episode 9, 10. Right. He comes back as the next baddie. And now he's been like, I don't know. So train of thought. Here we go. Go with me on this train. If the hand comes back, right? Mm-hmm. We know they are slightly magical. Okay. They save him. And set him up as the next kingpin. So they use magic to save him, but he's disfigured. Okay. He, and then he comes back as the big baddie where Electra and Punisher and Daredevil have to team up to go against him and the hand. Right. And the Irish mob. Interesting. Oh, that would be cool. Come on, that would be because you'd have ninjas and gangsters. Oh, ninjas, gangsters, and Irish ninjas. ninjas. I, oh, Irish ninjas. <laughs> that would be amazing. Like you said, nunchucks, they have bottles connected with string. <laughs> Stop the stereotypes, Chris. Yeah, Stop the stereotypes. Sorry. This is how it happens. So this is the reason why you're not allowed to watch episodes ahead, Chris. Mm. Um, because you're able to come up with these crazy, fantastical notions that could possibly be true. Uh, I'd hope so. Uh, the one, basically, if that does or any part of this happens, what okay. I want to see is the scene where he comes out of the dark and he unwraps his face. 
mm-hmm. and slowly you see the the prosthetics of that kind of man who's lost half his face because of a shotgun to the face. Right, interesting. That would be cool. It would be fa- it would be fantastic. I thought you were going to say what I want is five dollar five euro if uh, if that happens. So <laughs> so I'm glad. Oh you didn't no, make actually it I do. I do. Yeah, no, no. Nope, give sorry. me ten dollar. Ten dollar. It's gone. <laughs> uh, on that note, Chris, do you want to give us your next point? Yes, it's very much connected. Uh, it's connected to my first point and your point. Uh, the interrogation scene. Mm-hmm. This was one of the potentially for me, okay, one of the best scenes of the episode, uh, but potentially one of the darkest sequences in the show's history. Or, I don't know. Actually, potentially one of Netflix's history. Right. I watch a lot of Netflix, and like this, this was gory. It I think it probably was like. I'm not squeamish. I've grown up on horror films. Mm-hmm. Hammer, the Hammer House of Horror, were, were my bedtime stories. Right. I loved them. Well, um, you never sleep. Yeah, it could be another reason. <laughs> um, but the drill meeting his foot. Oh, yeah. Who, whoever did the special effects on this was amazing because it looked like his foot. I give you that. It, the camera pan it looked like his foot. I didn't see the cut. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the crimson, it was crimson blood. Kinda, and then, uh, John, uh, as Frank's guttural growl as it came out, as it, you could hear the drill go, I was like, oh, and you heard, they added the sounds, that sound, you could hear the bone mm-hmm. and the flesh, the first of flesh and the bone. That was just, no, oh, it was heart, re- heart wrenching and sh- shivering and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a brutal scene. I think. Um, I, I think stuff that happens in The Walking Dead probably gets as brutal as that. Uh, we haven't really seen something this brutal on Daredevil, I don't think. I think you're, you're probably right. Uh, I do remember Marco Ramirez, the, um, one of the new showrunners, kind of saying that after, after the reaction to season one, they realized they could push it further than they did in season one. And um, things like the scene with, uh, with Kingpin in season one where he slams the guy's head in the door. You don't actually see what happens to the guy. You just know it's happening. Um, which is fine. That, 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 you know, I think that's just as, just as good a scene. You don't have to see all the violence as well. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that, but, but this scene particularly is very gr- grimace inducing, I suppose. Um, I know some people turned off season one because it was a bit too violent for them. I think this scene might make them turn off season two if they, if they tried to give it another shot. Oh, God. Yeah. And then the, the, the piece where Frank, uh, you know, he had the bandage. I thought he was taking out. So we have that scene just before. He, I thought he was taking out a bullet. He was shot or something, and mm. I, we, I didn't quite catch it. Right. And then when in that interrogation scene where you see him digging within himself to pull out that razor blade that he had stashed there and cut the duct tape. Yep. Um. Oh, just grimace-inducing. That is actually what we should call this. And I think you're right. With season one, I. Okay, with a, uh, someone trying to smash the head in the door, I don't think you could, as of right now, do the special effects and show it in such a way that was that would be fully believable. You know what I mean? It's probably believable, but we'd like would be so meh. But I think with an interrogation scene, this it was so dirty, down and dirty that it it does make you go, oh, oh. They could have done the cut away, but I actually thank them. They. You could do it very over the top gore. You could do it under gore, but they did it just right. It's like Goldilocks and the interrogation scene. 
<laughs> it's like Goldilocks and the interrogation scene. Okay, yeah, interesting. Just right. <laughs> okay, not too you. gory, not too light, just right. Listeners, I needed that explained to me, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah, though, I, I don't think uh, any John Bernthal's were harmed in the making of this episode, but uh, but they definitely, uh, it, it definitely looked amazing and was very, very scary to watch, I must say. Um, I wouldn't want to want to mess with Finn, and I certainly would have given up the money. Uh, a great moment, really, is when Frank gives up the location of the money because you go, he's gotten to him, he's gotten to him, but this is Frank's plan all along. Uh, as you say, where he, where he pulls out the razor blade and, and escapes, this is his plan the whole time, was always to give up the location of the money to get Finn uh, to go there, kill some of his guys, to have him distracted so that Frank can take him out. Um, yeah, fa- uh, fabulous, fabulous scene, really, really good. And correct me if I'm wrong, would, is this the most violent scene or death in MCU? Hmm, that's that's a it's an interesting one. I think well, obviously the death of Wesley in, in season one as well did have two bullets to the chest as well. Um, I don't think we've seen a face blown off before, um, yeah. or anything of that anything of that style. I think we usually see. Actually, there is one in uh, Agents of Shield <laughs> that happened a couple of weeks ago, which I won't spoil for anybody. But uh, but there is one in this season of, of of Agents of Shield where there is a bullet to the head as well. But uh, certainly not at this level where a bullet is is basically shot into someone's face. That's uh, that's certainly not something we've seen before in the uh, in the Marvel TVU. Yeah, no, they're definitely taking a step forward. Uh, and if you weren't rooting for the Punisher before this scene. Um, because of his t- run-ins with Daredevil, you're going, eh, he's an R character. After this scene, and then the the first scene, point one we described, you should be rooting for him by now. Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely love the character. I really do. Still want to see more of him. I'm still on Daredevil's side. I still don't believe in him murdering people all across the city. Uh, that's kind of one of my things. I'm not oh, a no, vigilante. No, no. But I do love the character, definitely. DD all the way. <laughs> but uh, no, you're right. So, Derek... What is your next point? My next point is the comparison of the two funerals that are happening in this episode. Um, this episode is kind of all about death, really. There's a lot of death going on uh, in here. But the opening scene is obviously the wake of uh, of some quite bad criminals. Um, you know, it, it's it's held by Brannigan, who's leading the uh, who's leading the wake, um, saying some kind of interesting uh, blessing, I suppose, over everybody. He's saying, uh, may your neighbors respect you, trouble neglect you, the angels protect you and heaven accept you to some criminals, um, to send them on their way to heaven, presumably considering these guys are all Irish and all Catholic. Um, and then they're sending them off with a, with a drink on the opposite side. Then you have Grotto in a church with a priest, Father Lantham, who's not talking very positively about Grotto, who's saying he's a bad guy, despite the fact that he was in church every single week throwing money into the collection plates to buy his way into heaven. Yet that redemption will never come for him. Uh, this guy will never be redeemed because of the bad things that he did. I just love the contrast between those types of funerals. You've got one that's being held by people who aren't in any kind of religious profession, but claim themselves to be Catholics, and one that's held by a priest who has who's not giving any remorse for the fact that this guy died. Um, it's in attendance by Matt and Karen and uh, and Foggy. And once again, Father Lantham is dispensing advice to them as opposed to dispensing any kind of um, solace, I suppose, or any kind of normal platitudes that people would expect a priest to give. He's saying, in each of us, there's a world webbing out, touching others, some equal and some opposite. Um, this is things he's saying to Matt. There's things he's saying about being daredevil 
really nothing connected to the dead grotto. In fact, he calls it out later on when Matt says, you'd usually expect a priest to call out to, to say something nice about someone that's deceased. And he goes, funerals aren't for the dead, they're for the living that are here. And I did say he goes to church every weekend. That's good, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like, good. I like the contrast between the two of them. And I love seeing Father Lantham back. It's great that they're able to drop these characters in from the previous season. No introduction at all to who he is. Um, but we know from the previous season how connected himself and Matt are. And they're still playing that game of, uh, of guess what I do at night, uh, for, uh, for Matt, which I think is good fun. Uh, neither of them want to actually say it, but both of them know that each other is, uh, is fully clear on, uh, on the defender of Hell's Kitchen being in the church. I agree. I, um, for me, the first funeral, the, the Irish mob funeral was what I expected from the show. Kind mm-hmm. of very much a kind of what you would expect from a, a mob funeral. Uh, aside from the, the ice pick to the eye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the <laughs> Father Lantham's funeral, that again was a fantastic scene. Um, cause you're right. You, you don't, you weren't expecting that as a, a funeral eulogy or a kind of from, or especially from a priest. And I think Father Lantham's character is so, well, aside from the night escapades bit, which we'll get to in a second, okay. his character is so, non-priest-like, if you want to say like that. I don't know. From my own experiences with priests okay. and the, 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 the Catholic Church, you w- I would never expect a, a, a priest to be that forthcoming, that that direct, um, in a very roundabout way, but still giving very human advice, being very... The character is fantastic. Um, and this is going to show my ignorance now or my just lack of sleep. Um... Father Lantham is in Daredevil, but he's not as, in, sorry, in the com- Daredevil comic books, but he's not as central as the way they portrayed him in Netflix, am I right? Yeah, I'd have to throw that one out to the listeners, to be honest. Uh, I have seen Father Lantham in a couple of comic books. There's certainly not, uh, he's not the person that Daredevil turns to all the time. There are many characters over the years that Daredevil has had this kind of relationship with, I suppose. Um, but yeah, no, Father, Father Lantham does exist in the comic book universe, but uh, this version of him, um, I think, is much more central in the show. But again, he's only in an episode here or there. He seems to make a huge impression when he is on screen, though. Yes, and no, again, the the actor is fantastic. Um, I I I think I think they're kind of going for the born again arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're trying to kind of pull the the father lantern from that. Right, right. Uh, as the kind of the father figure who took over when Matt's dad, etc. Um, he was he was around the, the the I was gonna say monastery, but that's not right. The the orphanage, the orphanage, yeah, yeah, or the monastery orphanage maybe. Um, but the I think I don't know what it is about the character I like. It, it's the I think it's probably more the the, the wordplay the two of them do. As uh, coming back to your last point, which was. Your nightly escapades. Mm-hmm. That, I think that's what I enjoy in that. Like, the two of them know, and they play this cat, not cat and mouse, this kind of tango of words in that, oh, you know what I'm really saying, but it, we step over here and I'm going to say this, and then you're going to say this, and then we're bottle. And the part where uh, Charlie Cox and Matt say, like, I, I feel guilty, and then he's like, what have you got to feel guilty about? Yeah. I was like, oh, if you're, yes. If, if you're the person I think you are, which I love how Father Lantham puts it, uh, yeah. if you're the person I think you are, you said you did everything uh, you could do, so what's there to be guilty about? Yeah, I love it, but I also love that it's it's introed by Lantham looking at Matt, Matt and going, 
what is it that you're looking for from me? It's a really exasperated kind of thing, you know. <laughs> He's supposed to be a priest who's there to usually be an approachable person to talk to about your problems, but he just looking at Matt going, stop dancing around it. Just tell me what it is that you want because I'm not just going to stand here, you know. Um, really like that. Really like uh, Father Lantham, I must admit. Chris, do you want to go on to your next point? Okay, I'm going to talk about Cat or Marin. I'm not sure which, what do we want to call this? What's, what's going to be the nickname for this couple? Instead of Karen and Matt. Oh. We, we can go for Cat. We can go for Marin. Marin. I like Marin better. Okay, let's Kat. go for Marin. Okay, we knew this was coming. Uh-huh. Oh, God. But they built it up fantastically. Yep. I will give them that. They gave us a whole season of Will They, Won't They, Triangle. Um, and... Uh, did you feel bad for Foggy? No. No, I... I, I, I I kind of thought that Foggy was accepting what was going on. I think he realized, I know last season there was a big thing between himself and Karen, but um, I think he's realized that Karen's not for him. Yeah, I just, I think, I don't think that was explained. It wasn't. Because I was like, that's kind of just, we skip over that and he suddenly becomes accepting. I was like, okay, well, what? Okay. Anyway. He was also very, very drunk. True, (laughs) true. Shots, Chris, shots. Yeah. But like, I, okay, that scene where we see Foggy and Matt kind of enjoying their drinks and celebrating to capture Punisher. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the shot where you see Foggy realize the connection between Matt and Karen. It's kind of just a hand. He sees it from distance. I was like, oh, that's because they didn't explain the piece where like, okay, Foggy gets over and he accepts it and he understands that, that, that Marin is to, is a, an item, <laughs> is a thing. Um, I was like, I thought he was going to get upset. That's where I thought this road was going. Right. I was like, oh, we're going to have a love triangle again, a bigger love triangle. And it's going to get all ugly and it's going to end. The, the, our avocados at law are going to get uh, grey and, not grey, brown and horrible. Um, I th- <laughs> Trying to I think what colour the avocados are going to go there. That's why I was going to go grey, no grey, no brown. Yeah, brown. Let's call it brown. Um, but, okay, anyway, they skipped it and I thought it was brilliant. Um it is it is a lovely moment, isn't it? it? It's it's the moment when you realize that that Foggy is actually a true friend. He's yes. going. He said he says to Matt outside uh, wait, while they're waiting for Karen. He says to him, uh, "If you keep going this way, you actually might end off being happy." <laughs> you know, which is a true friend kind of thing to say. I don't think there's any rivalry there between the two. Uh, generally, he does say that Matt gets a lot more of the girls than he does. But in this case, he's kind of going, "Okay, well, I can see the two of you actually do have a connection." So I'm going to kind of step back. And hopefully the two of you are going to be happy together. Yeah, that was just fantastic. I did giggle at the rain. I thought we were going to get a Daredevil movie type style kind of shot of the, the world on fire in the rain. I was so waiting for that to happen. Yeah. I was waiting for him to see a blue silhouette of uh, of Karen. Yeah, Because yeah, the world's on fire for everything else. And she's blue as the love of his life. Uh, I, I know. Like, is this Avatar? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that was brilliant. That was okay. okay I, I think they did that on purpose. Uh-huh. I honestly did. And then except we get that one raindrop slowly falling and using Matt's sense. Okay. I was so cynical. I was giggling 
And then I went, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Oh. Well, it was beautifully shot, scene, I must say. And then, and then obviously with, uh, with Matt reaching out and touching her arm and, and rubbing the, the rainwater down her arm. It's a beautiful scene. And if she didn't kiss him at that point, I would have. Uh, <laughs> it is, it's so beautifully shot and such a great moment. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. For me, one of the best parts was the chemistry between Deborah and Wall and, Charlie Cox. Mm-hmm. Just, it was palpable. You could cut it with a knife in that split seconds between they, before they kissed. Yeah. And then I was just, oh, this is fantastic. I was like, I'm rooting for our Marin. Like, I'm going, yay, Team Marin. <laughs> um, God, you're such a shipper, Chris. Yeah, I know. It's great. Uh, I'm the cheerleader in the background of the uh, Defenders <laughs> TV podcast. Like, yay. Um, but no, it was just, ugh, it, it, I think they, they did this well. They could have made, the directors and screenwriters could have made this very easily a pseudo notebook type moment where she right. runs to him and he jumps into her, he jumps into her arms. <laughs> that I pay to see. <laughs> but no, she jumps, uh, jumped into his arms and her legs are up and he's holding her. I was like, They'd in the rain. They, I know, but they could have gone that way. They Instead, never would have gone that way. I guarantee you they never would have. But okay, I want to see the outtakes because you know that probably they were messing in the rain, the two actors, and they did something like that. Right, just just watch Arrow because that's what they do on this. Oh, hey, no Arrow bashing. <laughs> okay, so this is where, this is a point where I am a victim of my own knowledge. Okay. Uh, because I know the history between Marin in the comic books. I still wonder who Marin is every time you say it. Yeah, I know. It's like I'm gonna have people going like googling who the hell is Marin on Daredevil, <laughs> and slowly that we we should we should actually create an IMDb post and merge the two face face swap the two faces and oh, merge no. them together. Anyway, <laughs> I because I know the complications and the history from the comic books, mm. I'm already dreading this this story arc. Okay. Like, uh, where this will go. Have you not learned from season one where we thought that Karen was just going to be a drug addict from episode one, and then at the end of the season she was skipping away all happy with herself? Uh, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Have you, you've heard her comments in this episode uh-huh. and in the previous episode. She's alluding more and more to a previous dark life. Yes. She is. And like, this is like, and I'm, getting... I'm hoping we're going to get to see it, definitely. Yeah. If not this season, then it has to be season three. Right. Has to be because, and they haven't even confirmed season three, which I, I was expecting around now, potentially in another month, right. sometime in the next now and next month, we'll get a season three confirmation. I think mm-hmm. because of how well I'm, I'm assuming this season has done in viewership, uh, based on the number of media articles and the overall positive reviews I've heard from that kind of the IGNs, the 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 Defenders TV podcasts, yeah, the the, yep. the big the big greats out the there, you ones. know. <laughs> the big ones. Um, I'm, so I think, as I said, I, I, I'm a victim of my own knowledge in that I'm like, I, I, I think I'm going to spend the rest of the series kind of going, what's she going to do wrong? Oh, where's this going to go? I'm going to be nervous rather than, which I think a lot of viewers, uh, which is the kind of the directors and writers are probably going for, is like, this is going to be the fantastic, happy part of Matt's life for a period of time. Right. Actually, based on this episode, just for the space of like five seconds until it goes upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that point. It's going to be one of ours. Um, but 
I think I don't know. You know, I don't know if I'm explaining myself very correctly, but I think no, 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 no. I, I totally get you, and it's one. Of, it is one of the challenges as a as a podcast that covers the episodes as we as we do and don't watch ahead. I have heard many comments um, from a lot of a lot of viewers saying uh, it's they're finding it difficult to separate their comic book knowledge from uh, from viewing it. But at least when you can watch the 13 episodes, you can kind of make a decision at the end of the series as to whether it it cleaved very closely to a particular storyline or whether they're going to be taking stuff out of out of stuff for for next season but uh but yeah i'm gonna put that one on hold uh and we'll see how it pans out for karen this season because uh marin team marin <laughs> yes sorry we'll see how it pans out for marin i'm delighted that the two of them have such a wonderful scene and, and such a great kiss we'll see if it plays out at all in the next episode or whether the appearance of the other character may have uh may cause some problems for them the one thing i will say at the end of that scene is i don't want to be that taxi driver um no Karen, she's Karen soaking, soaking. <laughs> exactly i thought that when i was okay great minds think alike. yeah actually that scene that very last bit where you said we're feeling sorry for the taxi driver that was great because they kept him in focus mm-hmm. at the same time as she was running back because usually you'd you'd put one or the other out of focus, yeah. But they kind of kept two of them as much in focus as possible, um. And I I I I thought they were going to do the Matt's defocuses as he looks like he's hearing her run off, mm-hmm. and then I was I did think for a split second it was like she's going to get kidnapped by the Irish in the taxi, <laughs> and then he's going to have to run after and go, Karen, no, um. No, they have they have a much better cliffhanger for us in here. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, Derek, what is your next point? A big one. Melvin Potter is back with a brand new Daredevil suit. How cool is this? Oh, I was so happy. I was so happy he was back. Very cool, very cool. I know we had him in a, in a previous episode, but um, in this episode, what we do get, which I thought was really cool, is that uh, that Melvin is now only making suits for Daredevil. Obviously, he's not making those old suits that he used to make. And for one other person, and that per- person is Melvin Potter. Uh, he shows off underneath his, uh, underneath the top he's wearing. He shows off that he's got his own, uh, body armor and the body armor is colored in yellow and green, which are the gladiator colors. So he is building up his gladiator suit, which is awesome. Really cool. It's the V as well and everything. Yeah, and I did slightly confuse it with the uh, with the Hydra colors. Um, I was wondering whether Melvin Potter has got another career outside of his uh, outside of his activities of building <laughs> outfits, but uh, but no, did look it up, and it is it, it does look very close to his gladiator outfit. So really cool that they're doing this nice, uh, I suppose, alluding to uh, his future as the gladiator, and whether we will see Melvin Potter battle against Daredevil next season is going to be very interesting. Um, we also see that he's still with Betsy and still looking to keep her safe as well. So, uh, so it looks like Daredevil's relationship with uh, with Melvin Potter has uh, has worked out really well for them. Oh yeah, no, and um, the the circular blade he picks up every now and again. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, gladiators come in. It's very cool. I wonder who his old contacts are. Oh well, I suppose they, they kind of mentioned it before. Um, the old contacts would have been the other members of the criminal underworld that used to hold. Uh, hold Betsy hostage effectively. So, um, so I suppose in last season, it would have been basically everybody from Kingpin to Nobu. Um, all of those people, uh, and there are still a few of them still left in the city. Um, so the old contacts they would have had, presumably people like the Irish coming to him and asking him for, uh, stuff that would stop a bullet. Um, those kind of people is, is, is the, is the point, I think. 
Yeah, no, I think, well, just my, when he said the old contacts, my head went to anyone, any bad guy, that prominent bad guy from season one. Who might still be alive. Yeah. There's not that many of them, is there? No, exactly. So I'm like, <laughs> so who's ooh. still left? Because I don't think it would be new. I, I don't think they drop a line like that mm-hmm. without having it mean something that when we watch future episodes, we'll be like, oh, now I see what he means. Interesting. I will um, be looking out for that one, definitely. Yeah. And then you can totally spot Stiltman's armor and legs in the background of the workshop again. Yep, I know, yeah. I know. Very cool, very cool. So, Chris, what did you think of the actual new costume, a brand new Daredevil costume? I'm liking it. It is very much in that vein of the 90s Daredevil where he had the grey and red suit, hmm. the armoured suit, the armoured Daredevil suit. Right, right. I think in my kind of that, that, that style, um, he's becoming more armoured, I don't think we're ever going to get the Ben Affleck style kind of red lycra or right. kind of leather. PVC leather, yeah. Um, which I would, I don't know. I, based on, I'd like to see, an, I would at one point like to see the all red. Okay. Because I think that'd be very cool mm-hmm. with a more kind of a fitted form face kind of mask, which we slowly are getting a more devilly, uh, cause the eyes, I only noticed the eyes after he's done the sheen to the eyes that make it look cool. Yes, very, very cool. Yeah, he's kind of incorporated in uh, almost like Matt Murdock's glasses. I don't know how he decided to do it, but it does look like he has Matt's glasses inside there. The red, the red glasses are red tinted glasses. Uh, very cool, very cool. Um, yeah, really like this outfit. Love that our first real scene with it is when uh, Matt meets Mahoney um, uh, after Punisher is attacked, and he's again sitting in a room bathed in red light so it while his costume isn't fully red the first time we see the costume in full it's bathed in red light again so um really really nice love the the proper daredevil horns this time they're slightly sharper looking very cool and i love the casual drop by melvin potter that well i think your 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 headpiece or your mask is now indestructible Uh, i don't think anything can penetrate that now that's pretty darn cool (laughs) <laughs> or a street level hero to have a, a an impenetrable or unbreakable mask. That's pretty awesome. Oh yeah, no, I, I thought this. Uh, although Daredevil does get beat up a hell of a lot, so I'm like mm-hmm. going concussion damage maybe. Maybe um, it's a fantastic evolution. I'm wondering, will we see a third towards the end of the season? Mm-hmm. In that we had two different outfits in season one, black, and then. The first outfit, and then this one we have the first outfit, the first outfit, and then now into the second. Will we potentially see if we take the second is actually the first one on this one because it's kind of a couple of episodes in? Yeah. Will we see another iteration where someone bangs him up again badly because he says, "I don't think anything will." Will someone come along with something that does and forces Potter to? go back to the workshop interesting i definitely do want to see melvin potter again this season so anything that brings him back on the screen is good for me um i uh i am really hopeful for that but i'm really really excited about this suit i think it's very cool chris on that note do you want to give us your final point i will boom electra mm-hmm. Yay! she's right at the end it was the perfect clincher kind of the the, the cliffhanger that we wanted i will say this was slightly spoiled for me because of the trailer. Okay. Um, based on, I don't know why, but based on when the, the, we seen her in the trailer go, hello, Matt. Um, the, the lighting when he comes upstairs and takes the drink and mm-hmm. the beer, I was like, oh, that looked really familiar. Oh, here's where it comes an extra. And I was like, boom. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of, it kind of signaled it, tra- tra- traffic lighted it for me. Right. Um, 
It, it was just no. But anyway, forget that. Electra Nachos is here. Uh huh. Yes, she is. And in all her glory. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I definitely wanted to watch uh, the next episode after the end of this one, even though this episode tore through me um, and made me emotional, an emotional wreck. The minute I saw Electra and going, hello, Matthew, uh, I just wanted to see why she's there. I wanted to see everything about her. I want to see what their connection is. I want to know much more about this character. And we're going to get it. I can't wait to see it. Well, we, we, the only thing we know so far, correct me if I'm wrong, is that they dated in college. And that was a dropped line in season one. Yeah. Apparently, it wasn't even supposed to be uh, Electra. Everybody just assumed it was Electra. Um, it was a dropped line about a, a yeah, it was a, it was a Greek girl that he dated in one of his classes, yeah. and everybody just went, oh, well, it's Electra, obviously. Yeah. Um, so whether it will connect, which everything's connected in the Marvel universe, so whether it will connect to that particular comment and that she knows Foggy and she did go to college with Matt, we don't know yet. So uh, we'll be finding that out coming up pretty soon, I'd say. Oh yeah, no, I I think this is going to be our. Each of our biggest points on uh, episode five. Very, I think very I just, awesome. I just want to, I, I just want to know. That's my thing. Also, I, I know we've seen her in through press materials in her Electra outfit. Mm-hmm. I really just want to see it though, because we, it's a lot of it's been rendered or pre-staged. I want to see it in action. Absolutely. Oh no, no, I'm really looking forward to seeing Electra. She's one of my favorite characters. I read Electra Assassin when I was a kid. Uh, really, really enjoyed that book. A really weird, uh, interesting style for, um, for Marvel Comics at the time. Uh, a very violent book. I really enjoyed the character and really looking forward to seeing how they treat her on the TV show. Definitely. It's hope ten times better than the, the, the movie. I'm not saying that the, the movie was terrible, but I'm saying if it was on Rotten Tomatoes, I would throw Rotten Tomatoes at it. <laughs> the Electra movie is shockingly bad. Shockingly bad. Whatever you think about after you watch the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner film, whatever you think about that Electra character, if you think you can survive Electra and watch it the whole way through, I, I, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah do you remember the wolf ghost i don't even want to i don't even want to reminisce on that one here's to, to a new electra <laughs> absolutely welcome elodie young to the world of daredevil looking forward to seeing what you have for us derek do you have a last point i do have a last point and it's the one bit that we didn't talk about two of the hell's kitchen heroes or vigilante heroes team up in this episode. So we've talked about Frank breaking out from, uh, breaking out from the interrogation, but Daredevil comes to save him and they do a team up. It's an interesting yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. I do love the scene because, um, Daredevil is fully powered now. He's got his brand new suit. He's able to take a bit more punches. He's able to, uh, use the darkness a bit more and he's able to use his billy clubs to take out a lot of the people that are around him. Very cool fight sequences that are in there. Uh, but what I love is while doing that, he does uh, use Frank to block and take out some of the other guys. And then you see Frank doing things like picking up a hammer to crack over one of the guy's heads and Daredevil has to stop him. He takes out a gun to try and shoot somebody uh, while in the fight sequence and Daredevil has to stop him as well. I love this sequence. This is exactly what I wanted to see from these two fighting side by side. I wanted to see what Daredevil would do and how he would work with a character or you know, a, a person like Frank Castle, who he doesn't believe in, doesn't believe in his methods, um, kind of understands him, but yet doesn't agree with the kind of things that Frank or the lengths that Frank will go to. Uh, it's quite interesting just how it plays out in a pretty silent scene. He's basically going, nope, don't do that. Nope, uh, stop there. You can't hit someone in the head with a hammer. No, you can't shoot that guy. 
calm down. All you want to do is knock them out and leave them the way I'm leaving them. Deadly. Really, really cool scene. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I know. And I think you're actually something we didn't mention, the Billy Clubs. Mm-hmm. They, they really incorporated that into Daredevil's fighting style. Yes, so they're, they're, they're brilliant where they're knocking off walls, bouncing off something else, bouncing off his head, and coming back to Matt's kind of hand. I was like, oh. So good. So yeah. good. This guy must be amazing at pool. Yeah, so much. Well, we saw that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> there you go. Very true. Very true. Uh, that's all of my points for this episode. Chris, do you have any notes about this episode? I do have some notes. Uh, I'm Because I haven't been here uh, so far, I just wanted to kind of pull together some quick tidbits um, on some Easter eggs, maybe, um, uh, from the f- episodes one, two, four. Um, we've discussed a lot of them actually already, which is great. And you guys discussed some of them previously. The first one, Claire Temple. Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah. I was so happy she's back. And, but, um, the, uh, piss someone off in her current job line. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, is she going to get fired from Metro General and just going to facilitate her move to Hell's Kitchen in Harlem? And then we obviously see her and she's, prominent question mark in uh, Luke Cage mm-hmm. uh, I hope we see more of her in this I'm wondering is that the line they're going to use and that the more and more she gets involved with these vigilantes that she pisses off her bosses takes time off well what I did like about about it was the fact that she mentioned by taking that day off to take care of Luke Cage that she'd been given the unending night shift effectively <laughs> she'd been working for an entire month what I mentioned about it is that now that is the origin story of the night nurse effectively she uh, she is getting endless night shift because of trying to help out the superheroes on a side note how completely wonderful is Alden Henson as, ne- as Foggy in he the hospital is, scene so good so oh, good last week yeah that was just brilliant point number two Karen is really really eluding and I discussed this in this episode to her mysterious past again. Yes. Where like what I deserve it and drawing in my own stuff. Um, I'm not going to go too spoilery about the future. And we kind of we hinted at it. If you have not read the, com- uh, a Daredevil comic book or you want to read more, uh, if you've watched the whole season, please go read Daredevil Born Again. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, and I'm pretty 100% it's going to be a, a future season. So you may be spoiling that if you don't want to stay away. Never read Born Again, but that's where I think so. Oh, no, definitely read Born Again. It's always better to read the book before you see the show. The show is so well done and so different as well. So, uh, so I highly recommend Born Again anyway. So, Derek. Now, to round up the episode, have you got a couple of notes? I certainly do. There's some really interesting stuff going on in this episode. Just some fun little things that I that I caught. Uh, did you notice in Frank's house, when uh, when Karen is, is walking into the house, uh, there's some drawings that the kids do, did on the wall. Uh, one of the drawings is of Luke Skywalker fighting Darth Vader, which I thought was yeah. pretty cool. A nice little, uh, nice little Star Wars tribute in the year of Star Wars, as, as it was when, uh, when this was filmed. I um, thought that was quite cool. No, it did definitely, definitely very cool. Uh, also, we have a potential new big bad for the season, and I'm really interested to see who these guys are. The uh, the men and women in black suits uh, who arrive at the house uh, for Karen. Uh, the description given uh, to her is that these are the people that uh, were monitoring Frank when he was in the hospital uh, after taking that gunshot wound um, before we ever meet him, effectively just after the death of his family. Uh, there were a group of men and women all dressed the same, all dressed in black suits who controlled everything in the hospital, controlled everything about him, and also said... Uh, to the orderly to to uh, do a do not resuscitate on Fla- on Frank and allow him to die. Uh, really interesting because I'm wondering if this is yet again a connection to Jessica Jones. Is this a connection to what we spoke about all the way through that series with the character of Will Simpson, who was uh, who was a former Marine, brought into a program, 
given drugs to enhance his abilities were it made me wonder if these guys in black suits uh, guys and girls in black suits as as described uh, it made me wonder if they're connected in some way to that program uh, considering they're still monitoring Frank's house and are there very quickly once after Karen arrives um it just got me wondering whether there's some connection in there or are they shield there could be shield you never know i'm i'm going i'm going hand or i'm going the Jessica Jones i'm leaning more towards Jessica Jones right um, because, but again, the hand in day-to-day clothes so when they're not wearing ninja garb, mm-hmm. potentially. I'm pretty much with you on the Jessica Jones front on that one. So you think if they rip off their suits, there's going to be uh, there going to be some ninja outfits underneath? Potentially, or but I, I think more <laughs> likely. You're right. I love. I want to see it being the hand, but it probably won't. So it's probably more uh, a way to tie Jessica Jones being the the shady government agency. They wanted. They wanted Frank Castle to be the Will Simpson, mm-hmm. yeah. or a part of Will Simpson's group. I'm ho- I'm hoping so. I'm hoping there's some kind of connection that we'll see in here between uh, between Will Simpson and uh, and Castle. We talked about it enough uh, during our Jessica Jones podcast. I just hope it comes through. I hope we see Will Simpson back and maybe working alongside or sent after Frank Castle. It'd be quite oh, cool. Oh, that'd be amazing. And one final note: another Jessica Jones connection, but a little a little one. Uh, did you notice that Frank? Got a, a syringe in the neck. Do you think that's the same? Was filled with the same type of stuff that was used on Kilgrave? <laughs> I hope not. He seemed to be well, knocked yeah. out pretty quickly. Okay, yeah, yeah. I so, can see um, where you're going with that. So I was looking at it, going, oh, I wonder if that's the same stuff that was used on Kilgrave. Nice little Jessica Jones connection once again. With that, I think we can hand it over to our virtual co-host for his top five points. Uh, we'll be back directly afterwards. So I hope that the the lads have been treating you to a right royal discussion about this uh, episode. And obviously all my points link smoothly into theirs um, and we all agree enormously well. My first point is picks, drills and gunshot thrills. The gunshot to the face, um, wow. Um, this is one of the rawest, most visceral um, episodes of Daredevil so far. The camera really does not shy away from the gunshot to the face of the Irish mob leader, Finn. It's really, really um, violent. Um, And not only do we have that, uh, but we had the ice pick right at the start um, by Finn into, I presume that's Brannigan. Um, I can't quite remember and I can't quite recall whether they actually mentioned who that was, but, uh, you know, the ice pick to the face. I mean, I really got to say... would you not just do cube trays and um, this idea of a big block of ice and an ice pick probably not the best thing to do and then you have finn torturing uh, the punisher uh, with the the drill so yeah i mean currently doing quite a lot of diy uh, not going to in any way shape or form be able to look at the drills again at all. I mean, this really reminded me this episode of Daredevil of In the Blood, episode four of season one, where we have Wilson Fisk really show the Russians exactly what he's about as he slams his head in the door. And of course, it all just brought me back to, to Wesley, James Wesley, played by Toby Leonard Moore, you know, one of my absolute favorite characters of, of season one. This was the most explicit, um, aspect of uh, this season of Daredevil so far. I mean, it really, really was. You know, it was kind of like, ooh, ah, ee, you really did want to shy away. Um, absolutely. So that was really good. I loved um, the Punisher, the fact that 
in this episode, he has the razor blade in the arm. I'm like going, oh my god, you psycho. I mean, absolute nut job. Oh my goodness, he is getting the drill in the foot. And this is all part of his plan. Um, and I absolutely loved that he had really set about um, pulling and drawing out the, the Irish mob and, and really trying to get to the head of, of that mob, uh, Finn, and really, you know, cut the head off the, off the snake. Whether he's cut the head off the, the bigger snake, I don't know because it seemed to me that Finn, um, really, really was maybe reporting to others as well. I mean, he was a despicable character. I'm glad he got his comeuppance ultimately, but I really like the fact that, and um, the Punisher, um, planned all of this in, in a way that, you know, he seemed to enjoy it almost because he knew he was going to get retribution. And, um, and I love the contrast then of, um, the fact that the Punisher becomes incarcerated at the end of this episode by Officer Mahoney. Um, and I like the whole speech that Matt Murdock says to him. You know, I think we've seen that Officer Mahoney earlier in, in the episode is maybe one of those guys who's against the Daredevil. He's against Punisher. He's making the law irrelevant for them. He says he goes around chasing after um, the mess that these guys leave behind. They're no longer making the law, enforcing the law, but just simply following these guys around, dealing with their mess. So I like the speech that Matt Murdock does um, with him. He basically says, you know, it's important for you to arrest him and get the credit because... And then it's not my way and it's not the Punisher's way that is getting the credit. It's the law's way. Really like that. That's, a, that's kind of my second point. Who are the suits is my third point. Um, you know, we hear in this backstory, um, and it's a bit of backstory intrigue, really, uh, from the, the, the nurse who's been fired from uh, Metro General. We hear about these suits who are trying to um, do not resuscitate the Frank Castle, put those DNRs onto um, Frank Castle. We then see Karen at Punisher's home, which of course looks hugely suspicious. The fact that it's been left in pitch perfect condition. You have these sensors around, uh, which are, are looking and, and recording and um, whether anyone's broken in. I was thinking, well, is this just Frank Castles? But then we get the mystery van turning up. Um, and, you know, this whole um, intrigue is really exciting for me. Who is it? Um, is it the, the these other people that seem to be um, sort of mentioned by Finn, the Irish mobster? Are they other people involved with um, the Punisher's backstory? That's something I really can't wait to find out, especially because it also maybe ties back to the DA's office. So we really have a dodgy DA here in Samantha Reyes. That, that's kind of one of my theories I think I'm going to pull out of this is that she is rotten to the core and, and she's going to get found out maybe in, in this episode. So, And this will then spark a, a a race for a new district attorney, which maybe links in with Blake, her current um, uh, assistant DA, and maybe Foggy, so it will link into the comics that way. My fourth point then is Electra Natros turns up. The old flame arrives in Matt's apartment just as um, his brush with a new flame with Karen uh, has taken place in, in the rain. And um, yeah, so this is just making it really, really complicated. In Agent Carter, we have a bit of a um, love triangle going on between Agent Carter, uh, Dr. Wilkes, and Chief Sousa. And I think now here, we're going to have uh, two women, Electronatros and Karen, uh, with Matt Murdock in between. And um, 
I love the fact that she's turned up in the apartment. I can't wait to see if she is just going to be there for his uh, physicality. She needs him to to do a mission or whether there's an old flame sort of relationship there going on. Um, they certainly do in the comics have a connection. So um, this would be a nice little battle royale, I think, between the two ladies here. Um, you know, the the new flames spurned uh, uh, as Electra Nachos, uh, someone from Matt's history and past comes to town. So I'm really looking forward to that. My fifth and final point uh, is really Finn. I mean, I was just there going, we're nice people. I mean, okay, I'm not technically Irish, but uh, like I've lived in Ireland since 2002. I'm like going, please don't judge um the Irish by the Irish mob in New York. I mean, these people are asses. And I mean, he plays him really, really well. I mean, you are, when he gets his face blown off, you are kind of going, okay, that was intense. Wow. Uh, you know, no one deserves that. And then you're kind of thinking, well, maybe he did ultimately. He was not a nice guy at all. I mean, you have him going around town threatening people to uh, expose and, and um, try and track down the Punisher. You have him threatening Max, the dog, in front of the Punisher. And I, I love that you see the Punisher's uh, soft, gooey side for animals like really come out here. You know, he, Even though he's only just taking custody of that dog, rescued the dog, you know, he, he's, he's part of his um, household now. He's lost his wife and kids, and he's now got a new household with Max the dog, so don't threaten Max the dog ever. Um, I really, really um, thought that that was a big mistake by Finn. Uh, but, you know, I loved the portrayal of Finn here, really good. But don't judge a book by its cover, you know. Don't judge the Irish by by Finn. Um, he's a he's a violent idiot. Um, and, yes, we just came off a bad St. Patrick's Day with regards to... Um, the massacre of Brannigan and Nesbitt, and now we have this. But I'm loving seeing the Irish gangs here. They really are as um, a connection to the history of New York with that whole Irish-American uh, story. So really, really good, good to see. So those are John's top five points. Seems to have enjoyed the episode quite a lot, even though, unfortunately, we can't actually hear them as we record. Thanks very much for recording those, John. Uh, Chris, that only leaves one thing left to do. Do you defend this episode of Daredevil? Oh, I so do. Oh my God, I so defend this episode. And because John is not here and he's giving us his, uh, his John-esque rating, I'm going to fill in just while we're two of us are here. This is five out of five drills to the foot. Wow. Wow. A five out of five from Chris. That's phenomenal. No, it had to be uh, from the fight scene to the interrogation scene, the, the appearance of Electra, the oh, we could go on, mm -hmm. but nothing, none of it outshines the the monologue, soliloquy, whatever we want to call it, from John Bethel. For me, that is Emmy Award winning, edge of the seat viewing, and I I would be like I would love to take just that piece and you could show that to someone and go. What does this make you feel? And if you, if people say nothing, I'm like, you're dead inside. <laughs> like, my God, man, come on, get it, get it together. They turned me nearly, well, no, turn, come on, I'm being honest. It turned me into a blubbering mess. Uh -huh. I'm not going to leave you out there, Derek. I'm sorry. I was a blubbering mess as well. Yep. Um, and I rooted for Punisher. They flesh out a character who before, as I said, I had no 
real affinity and empathy connection with. I now, from one episode, I now have a huge affinity, connection, empathy, yearning to see more of. Yeah, that's what it was. Five out of five. I can't say any more about it. We've talked too much, but I can't say any more. I love this. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? This episode was fantastic. It had so much of what I was looking forward to in uh, in seeing with Frank Castle. Uh, so much in there. Uh, loved having the Irish gang back again. We haven't seen them since uh, since the attack by Frank in uh, in episode one. Um, really, really loved what they did here. There was so much brutality going on. Really, really violent, but only violent because of the involvement of Frank Castle. Um, it needed to be this level of violence. It needed to be this level of Max Marvel uh, to justify the inclusion of Punisher uh, in this TV show and and not having hard done by. Uh, I'm really hopeful that we're going to see more of John Bernthal in this show. Uh, he is fantastic. As Chris said, I was also a blubbering mess watching the uh, watching these scenes, listening to his description of what happened to him when he returned from war, and also the toll that it's taken uh, losing all of his family. Um, really, really tough scenes to watch, but that's exactly what I want from any TV show. I want to feel something, uh, and this certainly made me feel something. Um, I'm intrigued because it's not giving the full story. We still don't know who killed his family, who was responsible for it, and that makes me intrigued for a possible future Punisher series or possibly just the future uh, episodes in, in this season of Daredevil. Uh, but there was also so much, so much other wonderful stuff in here. Uh, having, having Marin created in front of our eyes was fantastic. Obviously the allusion to, uh, to Elodie Young's Electra for next week. Really excited to see that. And also just having Matt, Karen and Foggy sitting in Josie's bar, making, having a toast over a well-won victory is something that was probably needed to happen. Uh, we haven't seen much of that since the first season, so we probably needed them together uh, as one unit before whatever's coming comes. Really excited to see more of it. And finally, Virtual John, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? Yes, I absolutely defend this episode of Daredevil, season two, episode four, Penny and Dime. I don't think it's going to be to everyone's taste. I mean, it is one of the most violent and uh, episodes it harks back to in the blood episode four of season one of daredevil and in that sense i think it's absolutely important that you have this raw visceral aspect to um this show the gunshots of the face the interrogation of uh, the punisher the saving of the punisher by daredevil that connection being made so that moving forward in in this season you know they maybe can possibly work as a team i love to see how the punishers incarceration goes i love that theme and narrative about you know which side of the law are you on and in the end you're actually saying i'm actually on the side of the law not the punishers law not matt murdoch's or daredevil's law but the actual police you know not everyone in the police is corrupt and and that was really good uh, as well we have electra natros turning up and, uh, you know, we have a really uh, bit of intrigue coming, I think, to the DA's office here with those suits uh, and Frank Castle and the Punisher and what happens there. So I really can't wait for that. And that is why I ultimately give uh, this 4.5 drill points out of 5. This was really good. I can't wait to see the next episode. It's one of those things where I hope it doesn't kind of fall back. This has promised so much um, that I just can't wait to see the next episode. Very interesting. That's obviously huge. Defending from all three of us. 
Uh, really what? enjoyable episode overall. I'm wondering if this one it will be one of our best rated. Is this potentially our best rating that we've ever given an episode of the MCU? Very possibly. It is certainly the best rating that you've given to oh, yeah. anything we've covered so far. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I am a tough nut to crack, but my <laughs> God, did Frank Castle do it. Excellent. <laughs> uh, on that note, I think it's time to get over to our feedback. John has graciously recorded the feedback for us from uh, from both Jim Carrey and from David Wang for this week. So I'll pass it over to him. Yeah, in the feedback, uh, there's two bits of feedback that I really want to uh, put out there. The first is actually this whole point that, you know, some of this violence is getting quite meaty, but also, you know, the depiction of that violence, uh, maybe not to everyone's taste. Uh, Jim Carrey on, on Defenders TV podcast says, is it just me or did Daredevil adopt a season two habit of groaning, grunting, growling with physical effort? I think it's uh, slightly absurd and ridiculous, partly because it's broadcasts at his level of effort, letting the opponent know he's expending energy with each lunge, leap, dodge, or whatever. As for me, the viewer, it just over macho drama like you hear in a bad workout club certainly at the end of episode three there after that amazing like corridor and stairwell fight he is breathing very deeply it is matt murdoch uh, dressed in his his outfit um and so I, I see what you're saying absolutely um i definitely think that the fight sequences um are much more frequent in in this season so far and i think they've definitely been ramped up um, and I think partly this is to do with the fact that um, Daredevil is facing the Punisher and the Punisher is really um, fully formed. It's not like it's a backstory or anything like that. So he's such a physical presence. He's such a threat and an uncompromising type of character um, that there is this need to be hugely physical um, and uncompromising back. Um, I think... You know, as as I said in in a, in a response to Jim on our Facebook page, it's you know fight fire with fire. But uh, thanks so much, Jim, for for those thoughts. Um, it's really really good for for all the feedback. And um, in fact, on that point as well, Ronaldo also says he thinks it defines Daredevil and sets him apart from other physically enhanced heroes like Captain America um, in the Marvel universe because Matt physically is still only human, and the stuff he does. Uh, tires out the fittest of blokes so it, it's the effort required um, and that's why there's such this emphasis placed on the physicality but also the consequences of that whether it be the blood whether it be the panting and the recovery of these fights um, really interesting one of the other bits of feedback uh, comes from David Wang. He goes, he loves how the main theme flared up when Frank was carted away by Officer Mahoney. Um, and absolutely, I think this is really, really good. I love the fact that um, that theme tune from the opening credits of, of Daredevil is now being incorporated much more into the, the, the actual episodes um, you know, with slightly different flourishes um, and, and just... As he said, flaring up at real important iconic moments and that, the Punisher getting incarcerated, fantastic. Thank you, David, as well for uh, all that um, feedback. He also does go on to say, I really think Marvel Netflix should stop releasing trailers altogether. It would have been nice if I never knew the scenes that led up to Elektra sitting in Matt's sofa. Um, absolutely, I, I can always kind of... Um, agree with that. I'm a bit of a Christopher Nolan type when it comes to, to trailers. Um, even J.J. Abrahams, the, the, the less the better. I mean, to think of 
the fact that she was sitting there after the episode that we had and after what just happened with Karen, um, not knowing that she was going to actually be there or that scene was going to happen from the trailer, or in fact, even that we um, didn't know if she was even going to be in the show. Um, that would have been really cool. So there is a kind of a, a one of those balances that has to be made about how much do you show in the trailers, how much do you give away, and, and how much do you um, hold back so that it becomes really like shocking, uh, surprising, just revelatory in, in the the episode. So yeah, absolutely, David. Um, thank you so much for for all that feedback. We also got another bit of feedback on Twitter uh, from Linda W, who says, just found your Daredevil podcast. What a great recap and discussion. I caved and binged, but I'm so looking forward to your thoughts. Now I just need to tackle the Agent Carter episode stacked up on my DVR. Thank you very much, man. I'm sorry to hear you caved, but as long as you listen along with us, I would love I would love to know. You probably know now, based on four episodes of theory, how much is correct and how much is wrong. On a gauge of like... <laughs> Uh, like, oh my god, these guys are prophets to, uh, my god, these guys need to be put on a loony bean. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we're somewhere in between. I, wonder, I, uh, I think we're aiming towards loony bin so far, the first yeah. three episodes. We've made some serious predictions. Since you weren't on the first couple of episodes, just to let you in, one of our big predictions was that Grotto would actually team up with Turk Barrett, uh, as they are friends in the comic books. Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, so, so our predictions are, are not going so well right now, Chris. Mm, okay, well, hopefully some of my crazier predictions might bring us back in line. You never know. You never know. I, I, I doubt it, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for that, Linda. Very good of you to get in contact. Um, finally, we also got a review over on uh, iTunes. And um, I all I can say is thank you so much. Uh, five-star reviews over on iTunes hugely help us and hugely help other people to find our podcast. Um, really, really good of you to leave the review so I just want to say thanks so much to HZBXBNX for your review over on iTunes. Thank you so much. And if anybody else wants to leave a review on iTunes, just pop over to DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. Yeah, I have to mirror Derek in this. Um, no one has touched me since Frank, Frank Castle. Uh, touched my soul. So uh, HZBMX, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are my new Frank Castle. Excellent. On that note, I think it's time to close out the episode. What do you think, Chris? I, I think we're going to have to. Yep, yep. Uh, otherwise, we, we're going to have to bring John back from Siberia at some point. So I think we can only leave him in the freezing cold for another, what, what do you think, 24 hours? Mm-hmm. I think that's about it. And we've gotten you out of the chains from the roof as well, Chris, which is awesome. Uh, hopefully, you'll be able to be back with us for the next episode of Defenders TV Podcast. Oh, I will. And I think, more importantly, the fact that John's in the freezing cold, can we call him Captain America now? <laughs> he won't have aged a day since, yes. so yeah, since he went away. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. With that, I'm going to eat a ton of cheesy Doritos, or should I say nachos, and, and dip them lovingly into a pile of hot, spicy salsa. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.